Hi guys, welcome back to the new entrepreneur series of the Growth Mindset podcast where we will interview interesting entrepreneurs and their unique ideas every week. If you want to be aware of what new and interesting ideas are taking life around you, then this short 15 to 20 minute podcast episode will give you all that information. So, without further ado, let's talk to our entrepreneur of the week. Thank you so much Mr. Girish for taking your time out and uh, joining us on the podcast. It is a pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much Ishad. Um, always a pleasure um, and very excited to be here. Awesome. So Mr. Girish, uh, can you go forward and you know give my listeners a quick insight about where you're from? What's your background story like? Yeah, so I um you know I am from a, actually from a working class family. My father was a government servant and we were brought up uh, you know uh, in a typical middle class uh, environment uh, traveling all over the country i was very fortunate that my father had a transferable job uh, and so i've um, been very fortunate to look at many cultures and i think that stood me in great uh, uh, stead uh, from port blair uh, the islands of andaman nicobar uh, to gujarat and delhi and orissa uh, are some of the places that i grew up um then of course went on to do my engineering in uh, nit nagpur uh, and then an mba from mumbai so i have seen small towns i have seen big urban cities so my childhood uh, sort of groomed me to a personality that i am today many times when people ask me from where are you i struggle to answer because i'm from india <laughs> my finger to one city uh, exactly yeah. it makes sense a lot of to me as well because since you've said you've traveled to a lot of places I've been you know I was born in Gujarat uh, I've been in Mumbai for a couple of years my dad's are from Rajasthan and you know when people ask me now I'm in Bangalore so now people ask me I also struggle even I end of the day I just end up saying you know I'm an Indian man so just don't ask me anything else that's how it is that's right yeah. uh, and then you chose engineering uh, and then now you are uh, you know the chairman of one of the leading TPA firms so how did all this journey begin were you always interested in doing engineering or uh did you just follow the crowd what was the inspiration very interesting um, actually i didn't want to be an engineer at all my father <laughs> uh, my father wanted me to be an engineer my mother wanted me to be a doctor uh, okay i wanted to be a chartered accountant um and i actually uh, after i finished my 10th uh, you know because my father was in central government uh, i studied in kendra vidyalaya because we used to get transferred every 3 mm-hmm. years uh and uh, when i finished my 10th i happened to be in bangalore at that time my father had moved us to bangalore because he felt that you know my grandparents were here and he said maybe you should study uh, engineering in bangalore mm-hmm. um what uh, i took my transfer certificate from kendrudiala my father used to work in gujarat without telling him i took my transfer certificate and went joined a college in the puc in bangalore as the college <laughs> in the commerce section Two weeks later, my father came to know those good old days. I'm talking about early 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father realized that uh, I had taken uh, DC. He flew <laughs> back to Bangalore, put me back in science, and said, "You must be an engineer. Then you decide what you want to do with your life." That's how I became an engineer. So then, of course, I uh, was fortunate uh, that uh, I could get admission to a very leading uh, college, yeah. uh, national uh, NITs. Uh, and they did my mechanical engineering but my heart was never to be an engineer so i immediately followed engineering with an mba uh-huh. uh, and sort of stepped out of engineering i think uh, i i now thank my father uh, for having forced me to do uh, engineering 
because i think uh, when you come out of engineering uh, it it gives you a very inquisitive mind yeah. and rational mind so uh, um, you are uh, trained to be a problem solver as an engineer yes uh, and um, and the diversity of the education sort of gives you the ability to not get rattled by any new subject that's thrown at you and side i do thank my father for <laughs> bangalore and forcing me to uh, drop being a chartered accountant but uh, get back to being an engineer yeah i think that's that's very common today as well right like a lot of indian parents that the mentality uh, that today we have is normally we want our kids to be engineers or doctors that's that's across the board because i i am an engineer myself i did my engineering in computer science but right now i'm doing a work which is nowhere related to computer science and i'm also doing my mba right now just yeah. to make sure i cover it up that's but 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 the good thing but the good thing about obviously engineering is you know obviously as you said you get to learn a lot of new things and then end of the day you can decide your own path right it's not necessary that if you've done engineering you should only do that once you know that your heart is not there you can actually go and start something that you really like which is what you also did absolutely i think that's uh, uh, rightly said i think uh, engineering just gives you the great uh, platform or a foundation uh, and then you go and do what you love and uh, exactly have to go to the shop floor or do engineering because you are a graduate but True. Uh, education does not go uh, i mean it it stays with you and it's a useful platform absolutely and then how how did your journey begin after uh, you finished your engineering and then did your mba when when did you decide that okay this is where my heart is and this is where i'm going to start how did that happen yeah interesting so even when i was doing my engineering i was sort of uh, because i was interested in finance i studied a lot of books on finance uh, even though Uh, you know engineering still was top of mind for me uh, and at that time uh, i started looking at setting up a small scale manufacturing facility and got interested into setting up mm. something small uh, but obviously you know coming from a middle class family neither the money nor the access to money uh, yeah. was there so it was just a pipe dream at that time um, but after i finished my uh, engineering and finished my mba Uh, i was fortunate uh, i joined uh, as a management trainee in a very good company blue star um and uh, luckily for me uh, i got access to the leadership right away uh, i became an ea to senior mm. assistant kind of role uh, to one of the board members and that opened my eyes and uh, it was a good, really good platform for me because it gave me a bird's eye view of how leadership looks at business what they do strategic choices that they make um and and so that really helped me uh, to get a good perspective of uh, the 360 de- degrees of how a business is run uh, yeah percentage so that really set the foundation um then obviously uh, after that i went on to join uh, you know being a management graduate of marketing i uh, uh, sort of went into pure brand management in consumer product company called ptk group and in the mid 90s uh, as luck would have it the telecom revolution had just begun so the mm. light for telecom had just started uh, the entrepreneur and me said maybe this is a new thing that's happening let me jump into this at the peak of my growth career in ttk group in fact i still remember that uh, i was the youngest uh, uh, leadership uh, in ttk 30 uh, when i was made the general manager and made all india head for sales for the ttk group uh, and probably at that time it was a record the young the next youngest person ever to make that grade was a 45 year old and wow. i'm 30 so it was a nice ceiling to break uh, but i was very restless and i wanted to sort of uh, so the career path was fixed for me in, in tdk you know i could have 
retired there uh, because I had established my credentials. I was flying high. But I, the restless mind that I had, I said, you know, something new, something exciting, something startup. And uh, so went and attended an interview um, uh, for actually a brand manager's role in a startup. Um, it used to be called Hutchison Telecom. Now, of course, called Vodafone. Uh, wow. those, I'm going back to mid-90s before the licenses were issued. Hutchison Max yeah. Telecom. I went to uh, interview for a job for brand manager. Got selected as head of marketing. Yes. Set that up from scratch, and I think that uh, come that uh, role sort of is my seed to be an entrepreneur because I was employed mm -hmm. in that company, and it was a very large operation. You know, over time it became a very large operation. Yes, so sort of started from scratch, applying for the license, winning a license, recruiting people from a hotel room in Mumbai. <laughs> that was our first office, a hotel room in Mumbai. Okay. Um, and then renting a 500 square feet of office space in Mumbai. And then, mm. course, you know, telecom is a very, very large. Uh, yes, last industry in itself. Yeah. So telecom um, um, startup sort of gave me the first perspective of how, how to build a business uh, from scratch and then have the courage and conviction to build a large business and, uh, and mm. have, have the goal to put a lot of money behind it. And uh, it was an interesting phase of uh, learning for me um, and then of course uh, you know unfortunately for me my father had uh, cancer and so I had to step back and come back to Bangalore my father by then had retired uh, okay I settled down in Bangalore the license in Hutchison was only in Mumbai like mm. Hutchison and came back to Bangalore and joined the TTK group back because they were still trying to you know sort of fish, back, fish me back uh, and I started their international operations uh, for the TDK group and looked at how we could export products out of India. Okay. That was the second seed for me in terms of building something from scratch. Again, yeah. not a entrepreneurial role, but very much an intrapreneurial role. As the journey there uh, sort of cemented my entrepreneurial uh, desire uh, yeah. because I used to travel a lot. Uh, out of in the country and this is uh, mid 90s when still you know very few people really went out of uh, a lot of NRIs would tell me that my parents are at home I need some help at home and the, my friends in India I mean parents, friends parents in India would say oh you're going to US uh, my son is there you can you take some pickles for him and and that uh, at that time the other big story that was happening around in Silicon Valley was this whole dimension of uh, Amazon. Uh, this oh. Jeff Bezos had just started talking about how the world is going to change. Uh, internet is going to be the thing. People are going to buy books online and stuff like that. And initially, mm -hmm. my reaction was skeptical. You know, why would anyone? This is the late 90s. And I was thinking, how can anyone buy anything online? Correct. Possible. You have to go feed stuff and stuff. But as I started hearing more of that, I felt that, you know, there was something here. Internet was going to be a big thing. So mm. it up being uh, the internet coming up of age uh, or, you know, early phases of internet and this data point of, you know, my friends and her parents asking me for stuff to do. Uh, I mixed this two and said, there's an idea here. Uh, can I build something for NRIs in India? And that's how I started my entrepreneurial journey. I quit that squishy job, uh, a fancy job, uh, with very little uh, salary, I mean, very little savings that I had. Uh, but I just took the plunge and I said, this is the time to do it. Luckily for me, 
I think the exposure to the US helped me understand that there was this concept of startup funds available. So there was a concept of venture fund and private equity as a concept because at that time India did not still have this. Is yeah. Still very correct. Nice with uh, thanks to my US uh, endeavors, uh, and that's how I took the plunge. Uh, nice. 899 early 2000 is when I quit my cushy job uh, and I said, let me do something of my own. Interesting. So getting to, uh, you've said a lot of important things uh, while you were talking. You, you First thing you spoke about, the moment you started your journey, uh, you you got the access to the leadership team, wherein you, you kind of understood what kind of decisions they're making, uh, how are they strategizing, what were a few things that you learned that you could share with my listeners, basically are entrepreneurs who can understand uh, if they are starting a business, uh, how do successful uh, leadership members or leadership or leaders think so that they could also kind of implement the same in their lives? Yeah, so I think one of the things is, you know, um, when we build businesses, we always look at uh, the optimistic side. As entrepreneurs, you know, we, we just don't think that anything can go wrong. You know, it's a it's a entrepreneur's brain. I say is a double-edged sword. It is sharp and blunt. Sharp because it's <laughs> sharp because they have ability to absorb data points. It is blunt because the ego doesn't permit them to think that what they can't see, they can't see. Uh, True, that's nice. Everything, uh, right? So, uh, so it's a double-edged sword. Uh, but I think uh, very early uh, when I was looking at the board and how they were looking at uh, what caught my eye was that. Every time that a new idea would be tabled in the in this company, um, this gentleman would look and say, "Tell me what are the five things that can go wrong with this business." His hmm. first question was, "What can go wrong?" Hmm. It was never about how much revenue, what can, what are the big things, how much money will we make, and what his issue was: how, what can go wrong, and how can we make sure that what goes wrong is uh, limiting in terms of damage. What are the five things we can do to limit that damage? And mm. once convinced that uh, the downside risks was limited and controlled, then he would ask us saying, okay, now tell me what the upsides are. Yeah. Um, the downsides were very high and uh, could not be mitigated. He would say, I'm not even interested in your upsides. Just don't bother. Mm-hmm. And interesting. I interesting lesson for us because as entrepreneurs, we just look at the upside and think we have a great idea. Uh, with the upside, we just don't know if the downside happens, how to handle the downside. Hmm. Okay. And in in terms of uh, your own company right now, you're a uh, you you're a chairman of a company, Vital TPA firm, right? Now, can you help us explain what exactly is the difference between, let's say, an insurance industry and a TPA firm like yours? Yeah. So, um, you know, health insurance. Um, um, basically, an insurance company actually uh, provides insurance. And by definition, that means it mitigates your financial risk, technically. Mm. So, uh, typically, if you are at risk for something, now, uh, for example, a car, you insure a car or you insure a house or you insure a building, the probability that something will happen to the building is very low. But when that event happens, the financial impact is very high. Mm. So, uh, you know, if a, if, a, if a large building worth 100 crores uh, is, say, in an earthquake-prone area, uh, Correct. earthquake hits, if the building collapses, uh, the, the owner of that building can, can lose 100 crores. Exactly. The probability that that event will happen may be very small. Um, and so the insurance companies come with this mindset that if I have 
10,000 buildings insured in various parts of the world. The probability that any one building will fall on a particular year is X percentage. So if you say Correct. 1%, uh, so you do an actuarial calculation and say, okay, you pay me 10 lakh rupees or 15 lakh rupees to insure your building every year. But something happens, I'll pay you 100 crores. So it's a great deal. Um, exactly. Financial risk is moved from you personally to an insurance company who has the financial wherewithal to bear that risk. If it Correct. Happens. And that's the traditional model of an insurance company. So they basically insurance company by design are there to provide financial protection to you if an event, an, an event happens uh, which uh, puts tremendous financial pressure on you. Hmm. Health insurance business, however, things are slightly different. Health insurance is more about health care than insurance for two reasons. Hmm. It's your health. So if you if you have 100 people, all 100 people will have some kind of sickness at some point of life. It is never that yeah. zero one. Uh, it, may, it may be one or two people may be lucky that they may not have any problem. Hmm. But most of us will have some problem. So the probability that something will happen is easy to measure. Hmm. Hence, one. The second dimension is, for most of us, the when a health risk happens, the cost of that is normally, in 99% of the cases, not significant. It will be a few hundred rupees. In case of hospitalization, it could be a 50,000 or a lakh of rupees. So for many working class, it is not significant, but there could so, be a risk that you know you could be hit by a medical bill, which is 10 lakhs or 20 lakhs, which could be significant. So the insurance companies provide you financial cover. So you hmm. go and for yourself a five lakh rupees saying that if I fall sick and I get hospitalized and my hospital bill is five lakhs, God forbid, there is an insurance company that will provide me that financial cover. And for, for that, I pay a premium of maybe 2,000 rupees every year or 3,000 rupees every year, depending on the age profile that each of us are. So it's a Correct. small premium that you pay, but you're covered for a financial risk. So that's the role of an insurance the third hmm. administrator actually administers that policy on behalf of the insurance company. Because now the nuances of this business is very high. I mean, there is, uh, because when you fall sick uh, and get hospitalized as a patient, uh, you don't know whether that hospitalization is needed, not needed. Um, so somebody has to look at it and uh, be able to help you understand how that uh, process is going to happen. And then mm. also evaluate whether that care is required. Because in this case, unlike a building collapsing because of an earthquake, which is, you know, uh, something that is easily uh, seen and uh, very much, a healthcare event is very complex. Mm. You fall sick uh, and, you know, you have a chest pain, you go to a hospital and doctor says you need a surgery. Um, we do not have the wherewithal to evaluate rationally whether that event is required or not required. Uh, so, a third-party administrator sort of comes into play there because they have the necessary skills uh, as a company to understand the healthcare event and take a sub-objective view, saying, yeah, this person will need the care and hence the insurance company will pay for that care. Okay. And, and because we are a third-party, as the name sounds, whether we pay the bill or we don't pay the bill, we don't gain anything, we don't lose anything. Gains mm. by admitting a patient and doing an activity on the patient. An insurance company loses if the claim is paid because that money is paid out of them. Exactly. And a third party genuinely is independent of both. So he's actually a very good custodian of the 
policy holder and stroke patient yeah he has nothing to lose or nothing to gain by paying the claim or not paying the claim makes sense makes sense so it's basically biased and it's not siding towards one side which makes yeah. it better that's right and it brings transparency to both sides uh, both the insurer and the patient policy holder it brings tremendous uh, transparency and competency because an insurer does many things he provides fire insurance he provides car insurance he provides health insurance he provides director liability so he is not a specialist party administrator is a healthcare specialist he's only exactly. for healthcare so we have deep domain skills on healthcare i mean uh, i keep joking that we have more mbbs doctors employed in our company than most hospitals <laughs> interesting the idea of insurance also is so complex and vast today right there are so many kinds of insurance and i personally know when i when people talk about insurance they themselves are confused to what exactly is happening but now when you are breaking it down in such a pattern i'm i'm sure that a lot of listeners would at least have an idea as to what it is absolutely i think insurance is a very complex subject and a black box for many people um and, and uh, to your point um, you know pers- lenses are different so Correct. for a long time most people when you say insurance they think it's lic which is the most so they confuse <laughs> all insurance to be life insurance life insurance one piece of our uh, insurance Insurance. there are so many other layers of insurance that uh, one needs to worry about uh, exactly. and it's complex so so True. there is knowledge arbitrage uh, stroke information arbitrage between buyer and seller and i Correct. think the third party administrator um, uh, plays a significant role in making sure and bridging that arbit- information arbitrage between uh, both the policy holder insurer and the provider yeah and you've been doing this for over uh, a decade now if i'm not wrong almost 20 years to 2000 20 years 2002 years to be precise wow nice nice and and how, how about this current scenario uh, you understand corona has impacted now how is this impacting uh, the entire industry the insurance company do you think there is more surge in claims or how, how is it happening what's happening in, at that end i think corona has uh, one thing that corona has done is opened the eyes of people uh, across this pop strata a lot of people you know the i i keep saying this also uh, that uh, unfortunately across the world and nothing to do with india across the mm-hmm. world wellness is nobody's problem everybody when we are all well we don't care about us we don't care about yeah. our we care about ourselves but when we are sick it's everybody's problem everybody True. wants to come and wish you well and get well soon and flowers come and get you know calls come and stuff like that all of us believe that you know somebody else felt sick it will never happen to me syndrome means that you don't think there is a financial risk if you fall hmm so i would rather go and spend 1000 rupees on a night with friends and have beer uh, than pay 2000 rupees for a year full of insurance because i don't think it'll ever happen to me yeah but the virus has opened that box uh, and mm-hmm. people tie to the fact that uh, you know you can be hit by uh, a sickness and you can be hit by a bill uh, that you are unprepared to deal with um and so that's opened the box significantly from an insurance perspective so we're seeing significant surge uh, among uh, the large population uh, across the country uh, in terms of uh, insurance policy on one side okay on the other side of course uh, there has been a surge of covid cases and i think insurance companies have done a very good job of uh, you know stepping up uh, and saying you know provide the cover Uh, even though when the policy might have issued none of us would have thought about concept of a covid as a issue yes. uh, and that this large number of people may fall sick we would have never budgeted this kind of numbers 
companies have stepped in uh, the regulator has stepped in and said that this is an you know once in a lifetime event uh, and uh, so let's provide and make sure that all covid patients are uh, provided financial protection so i think Correct. the industry at large generally across the board uh, has done very well and uh, we've seen significant cases in fact uh, as of now we see at least 5 to 6% of the total cases that we get on a daily basis are covid cases uh, oh and it's nice to know you know when somebody has got your back and then you're able to do uh, and not basically spend out of your pocket because now when somebody is getting admitted for let's say corona you know every single day you got to spend in thousands each and every single day is going to drill a hole in your pocket which when if a insurance company comes forward and says okay we've got you covered that kind of takes that huge burden off uh, the employees or or the people in general absolutely absolutely i think uh, corona has sort of opened that issue of Uh, that the bill can be significant because we are, we we assume healthcare uh, you know is won't pay we'll never fall sick uh, <laughs> even if we fall sick you know maybe a, a pharmacy can uh, help us get some drugs off the shelf uh, correct 100 rupees uh, corona has sort of indicated that the bill can run into lakhs because you know if you if you are impacted badly uh, you could be in icu for uh, you know 10 12 days we seeing many patients uh, who are in the icu for 10 12 days uh, and hospitals are doing everything to make sure that uh, they come out uh, and so at the end of that uh, the bill could be significant true true uh, moving on to uh, the insurance part to your own uh, personal life i've also heard that you're a fan of steve jobs work and how he used to operate so tell us about that what does what what style of his appeals to you the most in in leadership I think uh, you know um, um, one great guy who uh, introduced this concept of uh, you know taking the boring to a new level uh, because still Steve Jobs came on the table uh, technology was a boring thing it was very engineering and very mm-hmm. you know B2B kind of product uh, Steve Jobs brought excitement to that space uh, and his ability to look at style from a very different lens I think. Uh, is one uh, dimension i admire because he was able to take the concept of how luxury makers look at styling and mm. a product which was till then considered a very business to business kind of structure to straddle and look at a very different industry and bring those ideas into another industry i think he was the one of the first of his time i think that's one great thing that i admire uh, uh, about uh, steve jobs the okay. second i think is uh, his passion Uh, i don't know how many people how many of our listeners will know this but steve jobs uh, wealth really was never created by apple it came out of another entity because when steve jobs uh, was thrown out of apple the first time around uh, mm-hmm. uh, and like many uh, entrepreneurs he was also very arrogant so he said yeah apple is going to be dead and sold all his shares so he sold all his shares and went and set up pixar uh, yes and successfully sold pixar and made all his money in pixar when he came back to apple when the apple guys called him back he really owned nothing in apple he had very little shares in apple has built apple to be one of the most valuable companies in the world and i think sure. that's a long way he was not after wealth when he built apple he built apple because he believed in apple built something exciting it was not for the money building the most uh, valuable enterprise in the world with no stake in it hardly any stake exactly and i think that is very crucial as well right like for example entrepreneurs who are actually uh, starting their own business or let's say somebody who's operating a business 
being passionate about it making sure you are not just con- concentrating on the financials but also truly believing in what you actually have to deliver which is adding value absolutely I, I, and that's the other thing i keep telling a lot of young entrepreneurs saying if you want to be an entrepreneur because you think you can make a lot of money forget it <laughs> you'll make money anywhere true make money in a job too because if you are a fortune 500 ceo you'll make a lot of money anyway so if money is your fire criteria go take a job take a nine to five job you can be assured that you will make money an entrepreneur's journey is no guarantee to making money in fact the only way that an entrepreneur stays alive is his passion because Correct. the journey can be a long journey i remember the infosys founders uh, saying that infosys was, was built overnight it took us just 10 years you know it's <laughs> never true So if, if you want to make money and find easy money, entrepreneurs, the chip is the last place. But a lot of mm-hmm. youngsters feel they look at uh, the newspapers and look at all the victories that have happened, uh, and unfortunately, the press only talks about the victories, and so everyone yeah. gets. True, true. Nobody seeing the failures that that people have gone through over the years over and over again, and they just see the overnight success that they have seen. Ninety percent of the startups fail. This is a yes jargon everyone can hear, right? When you start, you don't think you will ever fail. True. So entrepreneurship is not about the money; it's about the passion. Hmm. Interesting. Perfect. So I I understand that we are coming to the end of the interview, but there are two questions, um, Stigris, that I want to ask you. The first one being, uh, do you read books? Awesome. A lot of lot of them. Okay. Which is, if I had to ask you, let's say, to recommend one or two books, self help books that could help my listeners, uh, basically entrepreneurs to build a successful business. what those two books can be two books that come to mind is one is design thinking i forget the author it is a stanford idea founder mm-hmm. uh, very nicely written book and of course the blue ocean uh, blue ocean strategy blue ocean strategy yeah right. perfect very interesting books that um, i think are very useful for entrepreneurs um, interesting prospect okay perfect and one last question before i let you go mr girish uh you understand the idea of the growth mindset right the growth mindset is where you are learning on a daily basis growing uh, and you are always open to learning more and more to make sure you know uh, you become a better version of yourself so uh let's say you have to give two practical advice now to everybody out there to develop this growth mindset do you think what habits or what should they be doing to make that they have this kind of mindset when they're learning and growing every single day so i think one is uh, you know um, is to uh, make sure that your peripheral vision is very strong because mm. uh, uh, when you're building something you can be extremely focused and narrow uh, mm. miss the peripheral side uh, in a growth mindset it's very important to as you deep dive uh, you still have a peripheral vision and keep the ideas because you do not know what comes Uh, your way on the side so yeah, in fact most innovations if you re- if you look at some of the most beautiful innovations in the world are default innovations they were experimenting yes. something else and they chanced upon uh, a new discovery and so those new discoveries are basically because the inventor had that peripheral vision hmm uh, able to sort of say hey this is something i have not seen so let me look at it and not get you know so focused on only one particular direction I think vision is a very important dimension of growth mindset. Okay. This one, of course, I think is to do with uh, sheer hunger. Um, I think a lot of us, um, uh, you know, have a benchmark, and if we achieve that benchmark, we tend to think that okay, now can I reduce my risk 
uh, you know, and sort of consolidate. Uh, mm. To stay hungry every day. Um, and when you get up in the morning, you want to learn something new or do something new. Uh, so the hunger mindset also, I think, is a very important dimension. Yes, awesome. I love the first one because uh, as far as I've interviewed so many people, this is something that has come up for the first time, having the peripheral vision and making sure that, you know, uh, uh, because as you said, Instagram was something which was also made out like that. They had a different intention altogether, but Instagram founders realized that, okay, we are seeing more traction on this side rather than what we were actually focusing on. So let us focus on the thing that is actually getting more likes. And that's when Instagram just became a platform where people were starting uploading pictures and you know, it just boomed. Yeah. So that's a very good example. Yeah, absolutely. I think Instagram is a great example of how the founders had that vision. Yeah. And, and be able to pull that out and say, hey, I see something here. That's exactly. And what's right. What I'm trying to drive. Exactly. Exactly. So awesome, Mr. Uh, Girish. Thank you so much for taking your time out and joining us on the Growth Mindset Podcast. Uh, it was a pleasure having you. Absolutely a pleasure, Richard. Wonderful talking to you. This brings us to the end of this episode and hope you at least had one takeaway from this interview. If you have any questions or want to talk to me personally, you can find me at www.silavatirshad.com. See you soon.